How are we doing this morning? Good? Well, before we do anything else, OSC kids, you are dismissed. Would you give a hand for our kids? I just want to say, um, I have to, before we go into anything else, I've got to honor two people. One, my dad, who always, I don't know why he gives me an opportunity to get up here, but he does. Um, And then two, uh, my wife. My wife is incredible, and mainly for this, the, the time that I spent studying this and going over this message and writing this message, she was with three crazy kids. So if you know what that's like, um, if you're a mom, you would have much more respect for that. I got to honor my wife. Can we give it up for my wife for doing that? Um, this, morning, this morning, my dad is in Eunice. He's doing a little sneak attack evaluation. They have no clue he's coming, so Pastor Jamie's going to freak out. But anyway, so that's where he is, if you're wondering. But before we get into anything else, before we talk about what I want to talk about this morning, can we pray? Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we pray for the words that come out of my mouth. God, would not be the wisdom that I have or the knowledge that I have. But God, it would be your spirit leading and guiding. God, that it would be your words. God, I pray for people that are far from you. God, for people that don't know you, God, that you would just begin to soften their hearts, that you would begin to break down walls and barriers so that they can encounter you this morning. God, I pray for the skeptics, the ones that are skeptical about you, God, of fully giving their life and 100% surrendering to you. God, I pray that you would begin to, even now before I speak, that you would begin to soften their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in a two-week series called Teach Us to Pray, and I'm going to preach the uh, last um, uh, message in that series. And last week, my dad did, uh, gave you four different things of kind of teaching you how to pray. So this morning, I thought it would be um, pretty important not just to teach you how to pray, but to teach you the importance just to simply pray um, and to simply spend time with Jesus. Because um, here's the thing. A lot of people get confused in their relationship with Jesus and they don't know why they're struggling and they don't know why they can't get out of a rut and they don't know why they're just going around in circles. And oftentimes, almost 100% of the time, it's because of the fact that you're not connecting with Christ. You're just coasting through. So I want to leave you with one thought and I'm going to weave it through my entire message. And it's this, the primary purpose of prayer is to align our will with His. To align our desires with his. So our wants become his wants. So when we go to prayer, it's not just sitting down before a meal and saying, God, thank you for this food. Or showing up to work and or leaving work and saying, God, thank you that I did not kill somebody today. Or if you're a student, God, thank you. Hopefully, I can thank you later on if you help me to pass this test. Come on. Any students in here, that was like the only time you ever prayed. You know, like right before you taste it, God, you know I didn't study. God, just please have grace on me. I want to try to teach you that prayer is so much more than that. That it's not just something that we have this conversation with God, but it is us genuinely having the opportunity to connect with Jesus. To connect with the author of the universe. To connect with the one that put the stars in motion. That's what prayer is. That's what connecting with Jesus is. And so if you have a Bible, um, and if you don't, it's going to be on the screens. But in John chapter 4, verse 9, it says this, The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? 
For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, and I want you to get this part right here. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What does that have to do with prayer? It has everything to do with it. Because here's the thing. If that Samaritan woman would have known who Jesus was, do you think that her question would have been a little bit different? She would not, Jesus would not have been asking her for a drink. She would have turned around and said, you are the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the one that washes all of my sins away. And she would have taken that opportunity to say, Jesus is at this well to meet with me, and I'm going to ask him what I can do. And so here's the thing that I want to weave throughout this. A failure in our prayer life is generally a failure to know Jesus. If you're struggling with knowing Jesus, it's because you're not connecting with him. If you knew, like John says, if you knew who was talking to you, you would have asked. So I want to give you a few examples just to kind of set this whole thing up. A prayerless Christian or a Christian that does not carve out time in their day to spend with Jesus is kind of like a bus driver whose bus breaks down on a hill and they get out by themselves and they're going to try to push that bus up the hill. Without knowing, sitting in the front row of the bus is some guy named Clark Kent. Now, if he would have known that Clark Kent, Clark, Clark Kent, supposedly Superman, was sitting in the bus, do you think he would have got out by himself and begin to try to push that bus? No. He would have gone into the bus and said, hey, listen, um, my arms are made of flesh, yours are made of steel. Do you think you could help me roll this bus? So in John 4, it says, if you would have known, you would have asked. Here's another example. How many of you women in here like to shop? Anybody? Anybody like to shop? A prayerless Christian is kind of like having a room full of wallpapered with Saks Fifth Avenue gift receipts and gift cards, but yet you continually shop at Goodwill because you don't know how to read. That's kind of what a prayerless Christian is about. And I know it's, I'm kind of mocking it, but for you to claim that you know Jesus and that you have an intimate relationship with him, but you spend no time with him is a wrong assumption. Because like John 4 says, if you knew him, you would ask. If you knew him, you would ask. Christianity is not a comfort-filled life. It's a violent fight against your flesh to know Christ daily. So I've titled this message, A Fight to Know. You will not know Christ, and you will not connect with him, and you will not experience joy and peace unless you are fighting to know him. It is a fight to know Christ. The neglect of spending time with Jesus, the neglect of prayer is almost always the cause of stagnation in our Christian life. So if you're a Christian in here and you've been saved for a while and you're just like, man, I am going absolutely nowhere. I hear all these people around me talking, Christians talking about joy, talking about peace. I see people going through hard times and yet they continually point to Jesus that he's more than enough. How is that possible? It's because they're connecting with Jesus. 
They're with the source of joy. There's no substitute in your life for time alone with God in private prayer. Because this is where you fight to know Christ on a daily basis. I want to give you the example of Peter, and it's uh, found in Luke 22. And I just, the verse that's going to go up there is just kind of paraphrase. It's not really um, the verse. But basically, Jesus goes up to the Mount of Olives, and he's about to pray. And this is right before he's crucified, right before he's murdered. And he turns to Peter and his disciples, and he tells them one thing that's extremely interesting. He says, pray that you may not enter into temptation. In other words, temptation and sin is warring against your soul. And if you're not connecting with me, you're going to fall into it. See, Jesus, he knew. He knew what was going to happen. So he's trying to warn Peter. Peter, listen, guys, seriously, go connect with me. Align your will with my will, your desires with my desires. Because if you don't, here's what's going to happen. And we all know the story. Peter and the disciples, instead of connecting with Jesus, instead of taking that opportunity to commune and to pray with him, what did they do? They fell asleep. They fell asleep. And the crazy thing is, is a few chapters after that, Peter tries to take on the entire Roman army with a sword by slicing a guy's ear off, and then he denies Christ three times. So what is the result of that? He did not connect with Jesus. He did not carve out that time, and as a result, he fell into temptation. So some of you are asking the question, why do I keep falling into temptation? Why do I keep battling with sin over and over and over? And back to John 4, if you knew him, you would ask. It's because you don't genuinely know him. To know him is to fight to know him. Peter did not pray, and as a result, he fell into temptation. And what is true of Peter is true of all of us. We fall in private before we ever fall in public. We fall in private before we ever fall in public. You ever see these pastors of these huge mega churches with all these people? Seems like billions of people in their churches. And then you have a guy get up one Sunday, and it's not the pastor, and he's reading a letter from the pastor. Hey, so-and-so will no longer be able to pastor this church because of immorality or adultery. Do you think that that guy just woke up one morning and said, You know what? I think I want to be unfaithful to my wife. No. It's because he was falling in private. The, The time that he thought, well, maybe I can skip today. Maybe I don't really have to connect with Jesus today. It's not that important. I have much more important things to do. And he began to fall in private before he ever fell in public. So here's the question. Are you carving out time in your day to commune with Christ? Are you carving out time in your day to connect with Jesus? And that time is when you fight a time to fight your flesh and increase your senses to the schemes of the enemy. So here's what we have in American culture especially. You have people that are crazy busy, really busy, And a lot of times it's people that are really busy with just absolutely nothing. But you have people that are busy, and they take their schedule, and then they got God over here, and they say, okay, God, I need to try to work you into this schedule somehow. 
So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get up maybe 20 minutes early and I'm going to try to fit you in. And then my schedule kind of revolves around that. When it should be completely the opposite. You take your schedule and your busyness and you try to fit it into you connecting with Jesus. The first and foremost priority that you have in your walk with Christ is connecting with Jesus. He is the living water. He's the source. You cannot structure your day around trying to meet with him. Or you will fall into temptation. Matthew 6, 6 says this, But when you go, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. Now, many of us know what this verse means because you back it up in verse 5. What's happening? Jesus says, don't pray like the Pharisees because they pray in public and their reward is in front of men. But rather go in private and pray. And so I understand what this text is saying, but I think there's something that kind of jumps out that applies to what I'm talking about this morning. And it's four words. It says, go into your room. Immediately implying that he's saying, hey, you've got to go somewhere and implying that you've got to spend time with me. You've got to carve out some of that time to spend with Jesus. So I think there's a quote from D.A. Carson that kind of explains it the best. And the quote is this. People do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. You are never going to wake up one morning and just drift towards godliness. You're never going to wake up and go, man, I just feel these affections for God like I didn't feel yesterday. As a Christian, as a human being, here's what you drift towards, and he finishes the quote. We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. Can I tell you something this morning? You don't drift towards holiness. You drift towards godlessness. You drift towards a life of compromise. So the first point that I want to make this morning is you will never drift towards holiness. You will never wake up morning, in the morning and just feel closer to God than the day you were before. Unless you're fighting. Remember, it's a fight to know. I want to give you an example of kind of how your heart is wired. Your heart is kind of like a musical instrument. You can tune it once, but as soon as it gets bumped, you have to tune it again, right? So I've been leading worship here for about two years now, and every single time that I get on stage and ready myself to play, before practice, I'm tuning my guitar. After practice, before we play, I tune it again. But let's just say... One Sunday morning, I forgot to tune it, okay? And every single band member on this stage is in complete tune. They're in tune. They sound great. And the crazy thing is, is I pick up my guitar and I begin to play, and my fingers are positioned perfectly. 
I'm playing all the right notes, and I'm playing all the right chords that I need to play. But the sound that is coming out of my guitar is atrocious because it's not tuned. So here's the analogy that I want to relate that to. You go through suffering, you go through hard times, and if you're not in tune, you can quote all the right verses. You can quote all the little coffee shop verses and all the little things that you think are going to get you through that pain. And for some reason, every time that it comes out, you're just not in tune. And it's because of the fact that you have to be retuned every single day. Because here's the thing, you're going to walk out of here and you're going to get bumped, right? You're going to get in the car and your wife is going to bump you the wrong way. You're going to get in the car and your kids are going to have a meltdown and something's just going to happen and you're going to snap. You're going to go to work and your boss rubs you all the wrong ways. You get bumped. And if you're not tuning it, you're out of tune. Yet again, echoing John 4.10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that speaks to you, you would ask. You have the opportunity every single day to spend time with the creator of the universe, the one that washes away all of your sins, the one that pulled you from darkness and brought you to light. So in order to know the peace in the storm, you have to be with Jesus. In order to know joy in suffering, you have to be with Jesus. Here's the thing, you might look at, you know, my family and my dad who went through cancer and say, man, he just handled that so well. Or you see Pastor Josh and Miss Lindsay who's, um, whose son is going through an extremely difficult time and a difficult time for their family. And you may say, man, they just, how do they constantly point to Jesus? It's not because all of a sudden this thing just came up and then they made a conscious effort in that moment to say, you know what, I'm just going to give God the glory. It's because of a foundation that was already there. If you wait until you're in the trial, you're going to be crushed. In order to know the glory and majesty of Christ, you must structure your day to pray without ceasing. That verse always used to confuse the heck out of me. Like, God, what do you mean? Pray without stopping? What, what do you mean? Like, don't you understand responsibility? I've got to get things done. I have a, a job. I have a family. How am I supposed to pray? 24-7. So I don't believe Jesus is saying pray 24-7 or I'm going to be extremely disappointed with you. Here's what I do believe. I believe praying without ceasing means connect with Jesus at every opportunity that you have. If you commute to work, turn the radio off. Spend time with Jesus. There's so many excuses that we make that are so invalid of why we can't connect with him. Here's the crazy thing. If, if, if you do go to work and you make a commute to work, do this. It'll blow your mind. Turn off the radio and sit in silence. Dude, that's crazy. That's like the craziest thing you could do. You know why? Don't turn any music on. Nothing. Just sit in silence. And everything that is in your heart is going to be coming to your mind. And you're going to start thinking about it. 
And you're going to think about all the things that when you connect with Jesus, these are the things that I need to cry out to God to help me overcome. See, when you actually have time to sit in silence, your heart begins to become revealed and you get to think inwardly and deeply. See, the reason our culture busies itself so much is so we don't have to think inwardly. Why do we do mindless things? Why do we sit in front of a TV for five hours or scroll on Facebook for however long? It's because we don't have to think inwardly. We can just busy ourselves with things that we think that we're, you know, I didn't stay in bed all day. Yeah, but you busied yourselves with things that don't matter. The things that often cause us to drift are good things. It's usually not blatant sin. The things that cause us to drift are things like Facebook, social media, TV, hobbies. And all of those that I just listed, they're not bad. I'm not speaking against them. I have them. So let me give you an example. Good things are much easier to justify than obvious blatant sin. For instance, Xbox is not sinful, but let me show you how it is. And moms, I hope you say amen after I say this. If you play Xbox, and you've been doing it for so many years, and you're 30 years old, prancing around like Peter Pan in your underwear, and your mom just served you pizza rolls, it's sin! It's sin! So, let me give you another one. A novel is not wrong. But if you're a woman, and you're fantasizing about this dreamy novel, about something that your husband could never be, it's wrong. It's sin. Those are the things that cause you to drift. Why? Because you can justify them. Well, it's just, it's just, it's just Facebook. It's just a book. It's just a movie. I'm not going out killing anybody. I'm not committing adultery. It's, it's good stuff, right? Let me give you a personal example for myself. For, year, for months now, God has like con- been convicting me deeply just to just get rid of all social media. And I'll tell you why. Because every moment that I had... It's like, if anybody, let me do this, show of hands. How many of you have some kind of Facebook, Instagram? My God, it's like everybody nowadays. You ever get locked up into like the scroll? I like to call it the scroll. Like you're on your phone and it's just like, you don't know why, but you just can't stop. It just like keeps going and going and going. And you don't know why. And then you look at like the time, like 30 minutes goes by. And you're like, what in the world have I just done with my life? And so I found myself constantly just going to those things, and every kind of free time that I had, I would go to that. And so for months, I felt it just burning, and, and I just couldn't make the decision. And so about two and a half months ago, I finally came to my wife, and I said, I'm wiping my phone, I'm taking it all off, and you're going to do the same. And here's the crazy thing. She wasn't like, what? She was like, okay. So here, men, a lot of times, if you just lead the charge, your wife will follow you without a fight. Without a fight. And what blew my mind was all of a sudden, now I have time to spend time with Jesus. Now I have time to read. Now I have all this time on my hands, and I'm like, what in the world is going on? My wife and I sitting in bed last night reading. 
What are the things that rob your free time and end up becoming sinful that cause you to drift? It may not be social media. It may be a hobby. What are the things that cause you to drift? And those are the things that we have to begin to evaluate. Because we are at this moment as close to God as we choose to be. We are at this moment as close to God as we choose to be. And here's the crazy part. There are times when we would like to know deeper intimacy with Jesus, but when it comes to the point, we're not prepared to pay the price involved. So some of us have those longings to know Jesus deeper and to be more intimate with him and to carve out that time in our day to spend with him. But when it comes to the point to actually do it, we're not prepared to pay the price. Which leads me to the second point. So the first one is you will never drift towards holiness. You will never drift towards holiness. Number two, make war against your flesh. Make war against your flesh. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10 says this. Once you were a people. Let's read that again. Once you were a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had received mercy, had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That at one point you had not received mercy and you were not a part of the family. But now you have received mercy. And he says, beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So I know this is going to kind of sound like me repeating myself, but I'm doing it purposely. The bu- I believe the life of a Christian is a life of fighting. It is a constant fight to know Jesus. Fighting to remember that we were once dead in our sin and on a road to destruction, and God in his mercy opened our blind eyes. Fighting to remember that at once we were knee deep in our problems and in our junk, and God in his grace and mercy pulled us from that. That's what we're fighting to remember. It's a fight to know, a fight to remember who he is and what he has done. And here's the thing, the only possible attitude toward an out-of-control desire is a declaration of all-out war. Because we see in 1 Peter, it says, the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So we all know what happens to an army that is stocked with guns and an army that has nothing. Right? There is a war against your soul. You know, I've never been in battle. I know I don't really look like the guy that would be in battle anyway. Um, I've never been in battle, but I've heard that when you are sitting in a foxhole or you're laying up against a tree and you are in war, that every sense that you have is extremely heightened. 
Like your hearing is like through the roof. You could hear a rat on a piece of cheese. Why? Because you are in battle. I read a story um, of this guy. He said he was sitting in a foxhole for three days by himself. And he said, I could literally hear a twig snap from a mile and a half away. I don't know if that's true or not, but you know. His senses were extremely heightened. There's something about war that heightens your senses and makes you extremely aware of what's going on around you. Why? Because you're fighting for your life. You want to return home. So if you're not connecting with Christ, then you're not fighting to know him and your senses are very low. You're not aware of the danger that is begging for your soul. There's something about war that sharpens your senses to the Spirit of God. There's something about war that sharpens your senses to the Spirit of God. John Piper, a pastor, he says it this way. He says, I hear so many Christians murmuring about their imperfections and their failures and their addictions and their shortcomings, and I see so little war. Can I tell you something this morning? You have to make war against your flesh. And the way that you do that is by carving out that time in that day to spend time with Jesus. That your schedule does not revolve around that, but you revolve your schedule around connecting with Christ. Some of us are wondering, well, how do we make war? Well, there's a few things that you can start at doing. You can go to the manual. You don't just sit around and complain about your failures and your imperfections, but you understand that you serve a God who covers all of those. Because here's the crazy thing. In war, a soldier goes days without sleep, days without food. But in war, a soldier is always vigilant to the surroundings that are around him. Even when he feels like he's just wasting away. So a lot of the times, we're fighting against our flesh and our emotions. Let me, let me give you an example. Um, C.S. Lewis used to do this thing where he said, anybody can write me a letter about any question that they have, and I'll always respond to them. So later on in life, he compiled this huge book, and it's called Letters to My Students. And it was all these letters and these responses that he wrote back to people that had written him. And he had this one girl ask him, he said, um, she said, is it possible for me by doing good things and just living a a really moral life and, and trying to separate myself from people that are bad, is it possible for me to overcome addictions? And is it possible for me to live a good life? And his response was kind of brief. But it was really good. He said, no, because desire is always stronger than reason. And so he gave the example of using, okay, so let's say the morning that you, before you go to bed, you reason in your mind, you say, you know what? I need to get up early tomorrow morning. 
I'm going to set my alarm for 6 o'clock because I want to spend time with Jesus or I need to spend time with my wife before she leaves or whatever it is. And your reason right there is extremely sound and perfect, right? Then that next morning comes up and that alarm clock goes off. What happens? Your desire takes over. Your reason just goes out the window. Oh, I'm so tired. (laughs) Desire takes over. That's why it's so important that we take that time in our day to align our will with his will. Because if not, flesh and desire is always going to take over. No matter what you reason, no matter what you think, no matter what you say that I'm going to do this tomorrow. It's all the more the reason that, I've talked about this before. But if you go into Barnes & Noble, the number one selling books are like six-minute abs, you know, or uh, Better You by Tomorrow. That does not work. Why? Because you're trying to put in a principle and follow that principle, but in the long run, that desire is going to consume you. If you can get six-minute abs, let me know. But... I don't think it's possible. Why? Because it takes pain and it takes time and hard work to get there. And in our culture, we want things now and quickly. When God's saying, I'm loving you, I'm lovingly drawing you to myself by bringing you through this trial, by bringing you through this pain, so that you can know that I'm still good, even in all of this. War keeps us vigilant. War keeps us at watch. So what are some of the things that we're making war against? Every impulse in our soul that causes us to drift further away from Christ. Lust of the eyes, power, fame, money, the approval of man. Do you know that the only foothold that Satan has on you is your flesh and your sin? Here's something that you may or may not know. Nobody goes to hell because of Satan. Nobody. Nobody goes to hell because of Satan. The only reason is sin. And the only reason is because you are not warring against the flesh. So I'm here to tell you this morning, make war against your flesh because you will not drift towards holiness. You know, my biggest enemy is not Satan. It's me and my desires and my passions. That's why Paul talks about crucify the flesh. Put it to death. In Deuteronomy, it's not going to be on the screen. Chapter 1, verse 30. And this is right, to kind of set it up a little bit. This is right before the children of Israel are going to be going into the promised land. And they're scared. Because they've seen giants and all this other kind of stuff. And in verse 30, it says this. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you. Just as he did in Egypt. Before your eyes. So here's the thing that you have to know. 
that when you go into battle and when you take time to align your will with his will, you're not fighting by yourself. You're not fighting by yourself. But there also is a responsibility that is on you to go to Jesus, to connect with him. The reason that so many of us find ourselves kind of in like this hamster wheel of just going on and on and on and on, we're dealing with the same things over and over and over, is because of the fact that we're not connecting with Jesus and we're trying to ride off of the love that we first experienced when we met him. Like I gave you the example in the beginning of our heart is much like a musical instrument. It has to be tuned daily. Why? Because it gets bumped. You have to remember this. You can come in here on a Sunday and maybe your hope is to try to get tuned. But the second you walk out of those doors, you're going to get bumped and untuned. And you have to connect with him again and again and again and again. There's no substitute for time alone with Jesus. Absolutely none. From 1998 to 2002, there was a guy by the name of Wayne Grudem and his whole other team that had the task of translating the ESV Bible. And so for four years, they're like into the Greek and Hebrew text, eight to nine hours a day. Could you imagine how exhausting that would be? And he said at one point, when about two years into it, his mind was just on overload. He was mentally exhausted. And he kind of had a little conversation with God, and he said, God, you know what? For about eight to nine hours a day, I'm, I'm translating this scripture, okay? I'm, I'm reading it. I care deeply about it. So I'm just going to skip out on the time that I personally spend with you. And he said immediately, weeks went on, and immediately his wife began to say, man, what is wrong with you? Something is going on. He'd show up and his colleagues would be like, man, dude, what, you're just, I don't know what is wrong, but something is going on with you. He said, I, I was short-tempered, I was, I was mean to my kids. There was just things in my heart that began to come out that I was like, how did that even get there? And he said he brought it all back to, because he's like, I cut out that time with God. And he said, I had to remember that there was no substitute for time with Jesus. It does not matter how busy your schedule is or what kind of life that you lead. There is no substitute for spending time with Jesus. Absolutely none. John Owen said this, he said, he sees inside of us all. He sees not as we see, but ponders the hidden man of the heart. No humble, broken, contrite soul shall lose one sigh or groan after him and communion with him. No pant of love or desire is hid from him. What does that mean? Even when you don't emotionally feel Jesus, there is not a single fight to pursue him that goes unseen. So it kind of looks something like this. I've had so many mornings, I can't tell you, when the alarm clock is going off. And there is no desire in my heart to connect with Jesus at all. 
And so you know what I've had to do? I've had to walk out into my living room, get down on my knees and say, God, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't want to pursue you today. I don't want to connect with you. My heart is in this place. I don't know what's going on, but I just want to be honest with you. I know that you're faithful. Here's the thing. We're honest about many things, but when it comes to God, you're kind of like, in the makeup of the morning, like, God, I'm so sorry. I missed it. God, I'm so sorry I didn't connect with you today. I'm so, when inside, you're like, you didn't want to anyway. <laughs> Just be honest. Open it up and say, God, I, I'm having a hard time connecting. God, you know my schedule. You know I'm a mom. You know I've got three crazy kids running around begging for my time and my attention. Here's the thing that I want to leave you with this morning. Is connecting with Christ is not some kind of set scenario that has to play out. For the longest time growing up as a Christian, I thought, and this is not a joke, I had to get up early in the morning, read my Bible, and pray. And that was how I did it. And then the rest of the day was just kind of whatever. Whatever works best for you, do that. I've used this analogy a thousand times, but for me, when I go and I go to that coffee maker and I begin to brew that coffee and I smell that coffee and I go jump in the shower and I have coffee and and the Bible and worship, it's just something that stirs my affections for Jesus. Just the smell of coffee. I don't know what it is. It's amazing. Something that awakens you. My wife, she has three kids at home. There's absolutely no possible way that she can sit down for an hour and try to read this thing and to try to pray and to try to work. There's no way. So what does she do? Many days she walks around with her phone and her headphones in and she's listening to the word. She's listening to worship. She's doing what she can. There's no substitute for spending time with Jesus. There's no substitute. So I want to leave you with this. You will never drift towards holiness. And you have to make war against your flesh. You will never drift towards holiness. And you have to make war against your flesh. I close with this. Men, you lead the way. Women, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to paint some picture of, uh, of an, a mean, evil woman, so forgive me by my analogy here. But do you ever see the family where the mom just runs a show? She's calling all the shots. She's doing absolutely everything. And sometimes you're, you're left in a situation where you've got to call the shots. But as men, if we just step up and take the lead and we pastor our wives and we lead our wives, they'll end up following us. It may be a fight for some. My wife is a strong-willed woman. And sometimes it's a fight. But it does not negate my responsibility to lead her. 
Lead your families in knowing that you will never drift towards holiness. Your kids will never just wake up in Sunday morning and connect with Jesus. Just because they sit in OSC kids, if you are not parenting them well and exposing heart issues in their heart, it does not mean that they're just going to catch it. It is not the responsibility of the school and it is not the responsibility of the church for our children to grow up into a godly relationship with Jesus. It's ours. Your kids will not drift towards holiness. You will not drift towards holiness. Your kids have to learn to war against the flesh and they do that by seeing you war against the flesh. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that when we go to war, God, that we are not making or fighting a battle alone. God, as Deuteronomy says, that you are with us, God, that you fight alongside of us. God, you know our heart. You know the things that we struggle with. You know the things that we battle with. But God, I pray that we would look to you, that we would turn to you and know that you are good. In Jesus' name.